0: To the Gospel of Genesis, chapter 40. Can you believe we're that far? Do you realize what that means? It means we're 10 chapters beyond this, away from the end of the book. just keep moving up because you guys keep moving back. Uh, Genesis, if you're new to the Bible, that's okay. Genesis is the first book. Matter of fact, it's the Greek word for beginning. Will you please read with me? Actually, let's stand while we read, just because we can, I suppose. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker, no candlestick maker, of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker, So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them. Each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. Joseph came into to them in the morning and looked at them, and he saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in the custody of his lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me. And in the vine there were three branches. And it was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed them into Pharaoh's hand, the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. Boy, he was just ready, wasn't he? The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. I also have done nothing here that I should be put into this dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. All the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Oh, good. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh from you. Notice he doesn't say, remember me in three days. (laughs) Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday that they made a feast for all of his servants. Isn't that nice of him? He made a feast for all of his servants. And he lifted up the head of his chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, so Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Oh man, pray with me, would you please? What a gift, Father, it is to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through your word. Here we are now, 80% into the book of Genesis. We're finding you, Jesus, in every chapter. And here we are, Lord, seeking for you to speak to each of us. Lord, you know our native tongue. You know what our heart is ready to receive and isn't. You know what our ears could hear and our eyes can see and what our minds can grasp and what they can't. But God, by your Holy Spirit, anything is possible. And so God, I pray today for everyone here, myself included, that we would have so much fun in your word. That your word would burst open and come alive in such a deep and meaningful and personal and real and powerful way that every one of us will find ourselves going, wow, God, you are so wondrous, so good, and so mine. Lord, if there be any who have yet to know you within the sound of this voice, let today be the day of their salvation. And here we are, Lord, seeking your face. Oh, Lord God, please minister to each of us. God, immerse me, please, in your spirit that I would disappear and you would be seen. Fill me to overflowing that through me you would torrent your ministry. And speak to each of us, God. Speak fluent us by your Holy Spirit interpreted in our ears in a manner which every one of us can grasp. And in that, Lord, now have your way. We commit this time to you, Lord, be exalted. As we praise you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures, take that beautiful book in your lap, and from it test all things the scripture says. If you remember last week, Joseph was given a vision, a couple of them ultimately, because God was with him. Those visions weren't well received by his brothers, but God was with him. He was disdained, betrayed, and sold off, but God was with him. He was taken from his father, but God was with him. He was sold to be a servant in a pagan home, but God was with him. He was given favor by that boss because God was with him. He was sexually harassed and accused of rape, but God was with him. He wasn't killed because God was with him, but he was jailed, but God was with him. He was given favor with the jailer, because God was with him. He was made responsible over those that were in the jail, because God was with him. But that is not a fantastic comfort when you're in the dungeon, is it? At a moment like that, you better really realize that God is with you. Now, here's a quick quiz for you for a moment. I want you to go back to chapter 39, and I want you to tell me the official title of Potiphar, the man who could have killed him, should have killed him, but instead sent him to prison. What do we read in chapter 39 that Potiphar was called? What was his title? Yeah, awesome. Is it an, For those of you who are familiar with language, is it a definite article or an indefinite article? Some of you look at me blankly. What is it? Definite. Here's the difference. Definite means the, the one. Indefinite means a, a one. God is the God, the Savior. Definite article, he's definitely the one. Indefinite means he's a God, he's a Savior, but that's not what Scripture says. Notice it says that Potiphar was the captain of the guards. He wasn't a captain of the guards, he was the man. He was the one in charge. He was the one responsible for keeping people from killing Pharaoh. He was the one who was human resources, in charge of hiring and firing. He was the one to make sure that everything went smoothly. He was, in essence, the second most powerful man at the time in Egypt. The most powerful kingdom in the world at this time. Joseph was a kid with a fantastic calling. He was a kid who was given visions of greatness. Not delusions of grandeur, but visions of greatness. God had called him, though Joseph still has yet to discover what it is that God had called him to. He knows it's more than normal. He knows it's more than ordinary. It's extraordinary. He has yet to discover what his brand of extraordinary looks like. Much like all of us. We have much yet to discover of what your extraordinary is. The route to extraordinary is the least reasonable or logical that we could possibly find. If God were to stand before James on his bed tonight and say, James, I've called you to greatness, not because you're wearing a Superman shirt. Just because i 'm calling you to it, James, like most of us, will probably connect dots that God never asked him to connect he 'd say, "I dance i 'll probably be the best dancer i 've got that million dollar smile maybe i 'll become maybe i 'll become the next actor with Emmy Awards and all these particular things dots that God never said, and imagine if a moment like that, the next thing you know. James is kidnapped and sent to the middle of Zimbabwe. And there he is, standing and staring at the points of a handful of spears of men in loincloths, looking at him like he's tonight's dinner. And James thinks, this doesn't look an awful lot like an Academy Award. If they poke my face a few times, I'll never be able to market it. If they break my legs, I'll never again dance like I used to. It's so opposite. Now think about if God were to say to you right now, I've called you above the ordinary. Above the ordinary. We're all aware that status quo of this world is going to hell. Now that's a really sad statement, but it's true. He tells us, wide is the road to salvation. I'm sorry, wide is the road to destruction. Thank you. (laughs) Just check and see. Want to make sure you guys are testing everything. And narrow is the gate to salvation. Rough is the road. Few find it. Although many are called, few will be chosen. Now why? Let's just say it this way. If God called every one of you and you had caller ID, would you pick up the phone? God will choose anyone that will pick up the phone. But people will go... Oh, that's God. Let's just tell him I'm not home. Now, the reason I say that is God is calling every one of you above the norm because the norm's headed to hell. Why would you go there? You're the only living one in the morgue. You should look different. You should look really different. And the world says, stop making waves, stop looking different, stop it. And then what will happen is someone will put on the Christian shirt and the Christian jargon and say, stop it, you're making the rest of us look bad because you are overboard for Jesus. What I've learned, and I want to put this challenge out to every one of you, is you cannot overdose on Jesus. Try it. If you do, tell me. You can overdose on anything but Jesus. But you will never be sorry for Jesus. In this situation, Joseph is called and the route is the most bizarre route you could possibly imagine. But remember, Joseph doesn't really know what that is. All Joseph knows is that God's calling him to something where his brothers are going to bow. Now, that could be a good match of football. Or it could be something much more meaningful. Now, God has a tendency to make it more than football. Now, as I look at this, could you imagine if God had said, hey, Joe, by the way, I'm going to use you to save the world. How strange that would be. But Joe will be used to save the world, physically. What what it will take, by the way, will be his (laughs) obedience, his availability, and ultimately his willingness to forgive. So Joseph is sold off and he's sold off into Egypt as a common slave. The 11th of 12 boys sold off by all of his half-brothers or at least those of Leah's family. And he heads to Egypt and he winds up becoming the servant of the second most powerful man, the commander, right? Isn't that what we read? Or the captain of the guard. And his, not only is Joseph blessed by God, but apparently he's a good-looking guy. And unfortunately, the captain of the guard's wife tends to notice that and casts longing eyes on him. Ah, oh, poor Joe. He should have been born ugly. <laughs> Some of us think at that moment, hallelujah, I'm not Joseph. Joseph. Joseph actually will be one of the few people in Scripture we'll never have a recorded sin of. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't sin, but God was kind enough never to record one because he's really showing us an awful lot of Jesus in this guy. Joseph would say, How can I sin against my God? Now, in this particular culture we're in, let's be honest, there's a lot of people that would say, God (laughs) God dealt me a bad hand. Look, here I am in Egypt. I'm trying to obey him. He gives me these visions and I get sold into slavery. And now this. fine. I'm just going for it. But no man in his right mind allows the wife of the captain of the guard into anything. And you don't even have to be godly. You just have to be not dumb. Nobody has more weapons at his disposal. No one has more license to kill than this man. And you think of all the women in the world. This is the one who casts longing eyes on me. Thank you very much. But he doesn't and he flees. She cries rape. Boy, the pot calling the kettle black. And he then, instead of being killed, and by the way, could have been killed by Potiphar's bare hands, with no recourse, is sent to jail. Now, at a moment like that, when do you start blaming God? When do you start saying, I thought you called me to greatness. Thanks a lot. Or do you just trust that somehow God's ways are just not your ways? Because his ways aren't. We would take a quick shot to something and we'd kick up a lot of dust and no mountains ever get moved. In our text, look at the first three verses for a moment because we learn a few other things here. We talked last week about the fact that why didn't Potiphar kill him? Very likely because he assumed maybe that he was actually innocent, but that's a tough place to be when you realize your wife's a floozy. Uh, Praise God, I will never have to note that. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker and the king of Egypt of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt, in case you missed it the first time. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers. They were, again, the chief butler and the baker. You, You know, what's amazing is you could read these things three or four times. He repeats just about every fact of it, and you can miss still every one of them. These guys were direct servants to the most influential man in the world at the moment. Direct servants. Don't miss that not only were they direct servants, in it apparently they were offended, or they had offended this most influential man. We don't even read how. Burned the bread, maybe spilled a little wine on you know, Pharaoh's mumu. We really don't know. We just know somehow in it he's a, little, he's a little bummed out by it. And by the way, it's at this point four days before Pharaoh's birthday. We know that because the next day you'll tell the thing. Three days later, they'll have the birthday. So it's four days before his birthday. Now, I don't know about you. There are some people in the world, you'll know their birthday four months in advance. There are other people, they won't tell you until days after, and even then they wouldn't want to tell you. You know, Ruthie, with all due respect to her, she'll let you know. She'll let you know that May is saving up May for the end of May for her birthday month. Birthday month, by the way. In case you missed that. Bless that, girl. What do you think happens when you're Pharaoh? You start receiving dignitaries a week in advance because they're going to stay at your place. <coughs> we know that the same thing happens, by the way, with Herod, if you remember. It has a big party. It lasts at least a week long, at least traditionally that would be the case. And that's just a week of just getting wasted. Nonetheless, this is one of those moments where four days from now is Pharaoh's birthday and two guys are sent down to prison. And, and, and in this, would you think these guys are going to be extremely influential? And here's this, the first point as we play into this. On the road to God's extraordinary, hear this, on the road to God's extraordinary in your life, he's going to put people in your life that you have no clue how influential they will be or won't be and when they will be influential. It could be someone you're like, wow, two people that offended Pharaoh. Would you really think at a moment like this, these guys are going to be somehow, at least one of them, somehow party to what God's going to do to propel me to a place to fulfill the call he has in my life? That's what we have here. Notice, by the way, verse 3, very eye-opening. He put him in custody In the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. Wait a minute. Where is the prison, beloved? In the house of who? Potiphar. Notice it says the captain of the guard. We already know from the last chapter who that is. Get this. When Joseph was put in jail, it was in the same house where the floozy cast herself at him. Don't miss that. It's like basement time, only worse. It wasn't like you had to parade him across any part of Egypt. He just went, you're going down. And it was like four steps away. Not a long walk. And I wonder what that would be like to be put in a place, no windows. Dungeons are traditionally a place that are stinky and rotten. There's no sewage. You just poop where you have to. Forgive me for saying it, but the point's simple. It's dark and it's stinky and you can hear voices of the room up above you. Which would be Potiphar and his wife. What an interesting thing to hear while you're down there. You want to be in this place? You want to sign up for Joe's life? And there he is, thrown there. And interesting, it happens to be in Potiphar's house. And notice in verse 4, it says, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. Did you get that? Potiphar looks at the guy that had been charged by his wife to make the moves on his wife. And he says, Hey, buddy. um, Hey, Joe. I'm going to leave you with these guys. These are your responsibility now. Does that tell you a little bit about his relationship with Joseph at this moment? Tends to be a little bit more friendly than I would expect, unless he really hated these guys and thought they were irritating. More than likely, he did this because he actually trusted Joseph. And what would it be like to be the guy that threw him down in the jail and then recognized that the jailer says, This guy's a really amazing guy. And and Potiphar, by the way, the jailer would have to then account to who? Who's his boss? It's Potiphar. So the jailer has to come over and give a report, and he's like, hey, I just want to let you know the guy you sent down here, thanks. This guy's a really good guy. He's And imagine Potter would be like, yeah, yeah, you're right. So what'd you send him down here for again? Well, oh, I probably shouldn't tell you. What a rough thing. And here is Joseph now, and notice, it's like, oh, this is this, and here's the thing, don't miss this. This looks like a really convoluted sense of excellence. It's a strange place to be excellent, but you're being excellent even here. Joseph was a good floor scrubber or a good soup maker or a good house runner or whatever it was with Potiphar before that point. He did it well, whatever it was. Whatever it was. He didn't toss out shoddy stuff just because he disagreed with them. What he did was, whatever it was, he was going to do it well. Including being stuck in a prison. I and mean, Where do you stop doing Well, Where's the point when you go, well, forget it, man. Why would I do well in prison? There's nothing to do well here but bang your cup against the rail and moan. <laughs> or is it like, look, at you know what's strange is, according to this Joseph, what we'll find is, is God calls him excellent, serves them. You're tossed in a place, everybody's got a handful of tattoos that all say killed a handful of people with marks and the whole bit and all that. And he kind of comes in, everyone's hairy and, ah, like that. and he looks and goes, hi, hi guys, I'm here to serve you. Think about that for a minute. Joseph now all of a sudden gets elevated to a place and you go, wow, look at maybe, th- listen, maybe this is the greatness God has for me. He has no clue how radical his life is going to become two years from now. But there are going to be times in your life, if I could just dare say, where you'll go, you know what? This is, this is good enough. And it's not. It's just good enough for the moment. Listen, I was raised in a neighborhood where, well, it was. let me just say it the best of it, it was rather sketchy. People dying was a very common thing. Whether it be beat to death or stabbed to death or shot, it was just a common thing in our neighborhood. And it wasn't like you ever really built a close friendship with someone, because to be honest, you really never knew whether you would know them tomorrow. I can tell you of several situations where I've watched friends die in my hands, whether it be out of their own blood or whether it be out of something worse. I know what it's like to have to say goodbye and to be honest, to be the last face of a person that I knew quite well before they passed on. And when you live in that kind of neighborhood, to be honest, there really is no other world out there. You really don't think, wow, there's probably a place where people love each other or there's a kindness or this is what a family really looks like. To be honest, you just don't even think about those things. You just survive. It's what you do. You just survive. You're just kind of happy that someone isn't knocking at your door. And those moments when they do, you feel rather fortunate that somehow you live through it. Now, I'm not here to to in any way evoke sympathy. The whole point is, is that you just can't even possibly imagine something like this. And if you were to pull me out of there and just move me to another place where people died less, where everyone didn't have iron gates on everything, I'd say this is the best place ever because in all honesty, it was. But to move from that to something beyond that. Now, I had no concept of Christ, friends. But to move to a place where, where you could have a family and not just children that call you daddy or a wife that calls you honey, but, but a family like this? This is so far beyond my rich imagination. And the crazy thing is, we're still en route. And there are times in your life, to be honest, where whatever the bondage or the horror of the moment is, just to get out of that would just appear to be enough you're like, all right, Lord, this is good. We can stop here. And God says, you have no clue. God knows where you're going. You have no clue. You are just happy to be out of the last place. And you get to this point and you're like, this is, this is it, right? This is really, God, thank you. I can thank you for this. God says, I'm only stopping here so that you can recognize how much better this is than that. If he would have taken us right to the other thing, we wouldn't, well, there would be so much we wouldn't thank him for. Does that make any sense? But please, please, please don't miss this. God still has you en route. How do I know that? You're still breathing. The moment you stop breathing, ride's done. That's it. Hand in your ticket, things are over. Off you go. That's just the way it is. Now listen, here's the situation where he's still doing well. He's in a prison, for goodness sakes. And he's in a prison. And the guy who sent him there says, Hey, buddy, by the way, here's a couple more for you to look after. Go get him. And you're thinking, go get him? How about go get me out of this place? But he can't do that. If, I mean, if Potiphar gets Joseph out of prison, it says an awful lot. I mean, you know, all of those tribunes and the sun would do a whole front page article on him about, oh, the secret life of Potiphar's wife, you know, that kind of thing. A six page expose. And, and he knows that. And so he's got to still sort of play this whole thing to kind of keep his thing down. And as a result of one man's pride, another man's stuck in prison, innocent. And when this happens, two guys have dreams. Now these two guys, again, we don't recognize whether they're going to be radically influential or not. All we know is these are two guys that have offended Pharaoh. And so they both have these dreams. And Joseph comes in, and I want you to notice a couple things here. Joseph comes in, and he notices notices prisoners that are sad. Is that a weird thing? Wouldn't you think every prisoner would be sad? (laughs) Happy to be in prison. Yeah, all right. Well, I mean, wow, you two are really different. Everyone else is on the chorus line. And look at the two of you. What could make a bunch of people not so sad that a couple sad guys would stand out? Could it be Joseph's service? Now, look at whether we like it or not. We're going to be living in a place that's going to challenge you for the rest of your life on earth. It's a cell. It's a holding cell. But aren't you thankful? You're doing temporary time here. Jesus has come, according to Isaiah, and he made clear because he quoted it at his sort of coming out party there in the Nazareth, where he says, look, at, I have come to declare freedom to those who are in bondage, release to those who are in prison. Jesus says, the man, the moment you sin, you're a slave to it. Like it or not. And I've come to declare freedom. Who wants out? So here is Joseph in this situation. Very similar in a manner. He's serving these people. And he looks at these two guys he's been serving. We don't even know how long they've been in there. But it appears, at least at this point, let's just say it's the next day. And and with that, he looks and he goes, wow, you guys look sad. And you could think in a moment like that, be like, I'm in prison, hello? But now it's like, you know, I, I had this dream and it kind of freaked me out. Now, I don't know about you, but... Having a dream that I got a cut back, and I'm giving it back to the Pharaoh? Well, it's interesting. because throughout Scripture. God allows dreams in some cases to really, and we'll find it with Daniel, be very instrumental as well. We'll find it with Nebuchadnezzar. And by the way, he's going to use dreams, by the way, to propel Joseph back in this situation. Joseph's in a rough place. We can all agree with that. We wouldn't envy to be in his spot at the moment. But in that he goes, and he goes, well, don't interpretations belong to God? Why don't you tell me? Now, I love the fact that Joseph is so confident in the Lord at this moment. That he's, by the way, first of all, he's not going to take credit himself. Did you notice that? He's not going to go, Well, check it out. That's my gift. My gifting is interpretation. You came to the right guy. <laughs> Which, by the way, some of us might be tempted to do at a moment like that. Because, after all, man, anything you could do to propel yourself out of this dark place would be, and maybe you're in one of those dark places right now. But he says, You know what? God, He can take care of this. I am fully convinced. If I can take this to the Lord, he can handle it. And by the way, at that moment, he just plugged himself into eternity. So much so that Joseph doesn't go, when he hears the first dream. he doesn't go, hmm, let me go seek the Lord for a moment and I'll be right back. I'm going to go fast for a few days. Because if he had done that, it would have been too late. <laughs> Think about it. The Lord knew this needed immediate interpretation because God gave it to them right now. So he's like, oh, well, here's the idea. Don't miss this. There's a cup and that's what you dreamt. And in three days, like those three branches, those three days, within three days, that cup is going to be restored. That cup is going to be restored. And that's good news. You will be lifted up. You'll be lifted up three days. In three days, there will be a lifting up. And in those three days, not only will that be a lifting up, that cup will be restored. And he says, ooh, that's good. So the second guy goes, ooh, that sounds pretty darn good. Well, let me tell you about my dream. Now I guarantee, probably, well, I guarantee he did not want to hear the interpretation Joseph was going to give him. But I want you to recognize the one thing Joseph, the one request Joseph made of the butler, who by the way is just a servant. He said, "Hey, when things aren't so rough for you and you're where you belong, could you remember me, please? Can I dare say it's the biggest problem in my walk with Christ? Maybe yours too." You may hate the dark place you're in if you feel like you're in one. By the way, if you're the light of the world, you'll never in that kind of dark place because there's no darkness that can exist around you as you... Live with the light of the, lo- of the Lord. But you may feel like at the moment, things just aren't really as jovial and colorful and everything's sort of in sepia at best and you're just kind of making it through and you're just like, I really wish this was much more like a musical and not like a tragedy from Shakespeare. you know? And at one a moment like that and you're just like, God, I just really, this just doesn't seem like it's what I thought it should be at this moment. Listen, if you get one thing out of this today, Nothing is more important to the Lord than your relationship with him. Nothing. And nothing else operates him like that. Nothing moves him. Just nothing sets his priorities more than your relationship with him. Now here's the question. When are you closest? If you're closest in your sickness, why would he ever make you well? If you're closest in your trials, why would he ever pull you out of them? We tend to think, well, God just wants you healthy and wealthy and wise. Look, God wants you, period. Everything else is either, it either brings you to him or takes you from him. Does that make sense? And that becomes the problem when we want to argue with God about things he uses to keep us in his lap. No. Joseph's request, might I just say, is Jesus' request to you. If you're in one of those rough moments right now, either you're clinging with God or struggling, you'll end up clinging with him if you actually belong to him. But he's like, look at if I take you out of this, will you remember me, please? Because if I pull you out of this and you don't, I've done myself a disservice to help you the way you ask. Does that make sense? When When one of our children says, I would really like a this or I'd really like a that, Interesting, my youngest really wants this Wii game. And she's just, and she sort of spikes every fourth conversation with a little word or two about it, you know. She's smart enough to know how to play dad. Well, in that, she says, but I I gotta be honest, and I can tell there was something on her conscience about it, and I thought this was really, and she goes, and I know this is gonna totally ruin it, but I just had a dream, and in that dream, I was playing this game and it was keeping me from you. And then she got teary-eyed. And I gotta be honest, it was one of the most beautiful moments in my life because I realized she knew how important that was to me. And at that moment, I could just feel the Father's heart. So he looks and goes, you know what? I don't want to put you in something that's going to keep you from me. And Joseph here just has a simple request. And you know what the worst part is? The guy's not going to do it after all, is he? Not at least, by the way, for two whole years. Now at that point, you're like, he's totally forgotten. God is going to allow Joseph, after this day, we're short of it, for two more years. When do you go, that's enough. I'm done. I'm done with this being good thing. So the second guy's like, well, look at here's the deal. I've got bread on my head, and three baskets, and the three baskets and birds, which, by the way, throughout Scripture, birds aren't cute, cuddly, let's cuddle with them. Birds always tend to be the ones that eat your flesh, pluck out your eyes, steal the word of God according to Jesus' parables. It isn't like, oh, sweet, birds. If you have a dream and birds are involved in that, chances are you might say, Lord, do I need to repent of something? You might want to go there first. So when people go, oh, well, look at the kingdom of heaven, it's like a mustard seed, and it grows so big. And the birds of the air just put their nests in there. Oh, how sweet. And you realize, wait, but those birds were stealing the, the seed of God's word in the two parables before. That's not a good thing. And you go, so birds were plucking out and eating kind of all this bread that was on my head. And he goes, mmm, that's just bad, and that's just bad. Pharaoh's going to lift up your head. Pharaoh's going to lift up your head too. Clean off of you. <laughs> Not so good. And oh, those birds you've done. You're actually going to sort of see them. You're, they're going to eat your eyes. So you won't be, actually be alive to see it. But they're going to eat you. And, and you can just see him going, what? Oh, come on. And notice he doesn't go, okay, so remember me, by the way, when all this happens. He's like, whoa. So, but you know what? I do love the fact that he gave him three days to get right. Wouldn't it be just great if you were like, look it, I just, what if God said, look it, tonight you're going to die, you've got the day. What would you do with it? I guarantee you, half of the things that you might be actually having on your agenda pursue, more than half of them will be meaningless now. Please, would you remember me? So what happens? Notice he said in three days. In three days, the bread will be fully broken. And then comes to pass just like it's been promised. Now let me just dare say this. We wrap this around, believe it or not. Throughout Scripture, there are two cups and there are two breads. And God makes very clear of that. Let me give you an example. And by the way, don't just believe me. Never just believe me. In Psalm 11 he tells us that burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. In Ezekiel 23, 33, he talks about the cup of horror and desolation. In Isaiah 51, verse 17, it says, The cup of his fury, it is the cup of God's wrath. But let me tell you about a second cup. Psalm 16, verse 5. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance, and you are my cup. In Psalm 116, verse 13, I will take up the cup of salvation. In Jeremiah 16, verse 7, it's called the cup of consolation. Now, if the two cups were set before you, you'd be an absolute idiot not to take the second. We all can agree with that. Here's the problem. We have no right to it. We have all earned the first. But God had already promised this 700 years before Jesus. Actually, a thousand was Psalm 75 when it says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup. In the hand of the Lord. Mixed. He pours it out surely even upon the wicked of the earth, drained and drunk down. Or it says, That all the wicked of the earth shall drain and drink down. But listen to this, Isaiah 51, verse 22. Thus says the Lord your God, who pleads the cause of his people. God's pleading for his people? Well, that's weird. Not just waiting to judge them. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. She'll no longer drink it. Now let me fast forward 700 years to a garden. And in a garden, Jesus is there on his knees, sweating like drops of blood, and says, Father, Father, If there be any other way, let this cup pass from before me. You see, the only one who had the right to take either cup was the Lord. Actually, to be honest, he hadn't earned the first one at all. The second one was entirely his. But on his knees, you realize what he's saying here. The reason why I or you have a right to the second is because God himself chose to drink the first for me. That's the whole idea of what we do even in communion is that the Lord chose to drink the cup of God's wrath and fury so that he could in turn offer us the cup of salvation. That's the way that works. Could anyone in their right mind say, no, 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 I'd actually rather earn it and drink the other cup? What person in their right mind would do that? And yet people do every day. They still say, you know what, I'd rather try to earn it. Well, what you earned was cup number one. Drink what? Choose wisely. But then listen to this. Do you know there's also two breads? Leviticus chapter twenty-one speaks the first time, by the way, when he speaks specifically of bread. When he says he's the bread of their God. But listen to this. Deuteronomy sixteen three calls it the bread of affliction. By the way, the very bread that is broken before the Lord at Passover. First Kings twenty-two, Second Second Chronicles eighteen, the same. Psalm seven. I'm sorry. Psalm eighty is called the bread of tears. Proverbs 4, 17, it's called the bread of wickedness. And in Ezekiel 24, verse 17, it's called the bread of sorrow. There is a bread of affliction, a bread of bondage. But in Psalm 78, verse 24, we read that God had rained down manna for them to eat, and he gave them the bread of heaven. So also says Psalm one hundred five forty. Should it surprise me that Jesus himself called in John chapter 5 himself that bread that came down from heaven. But that bread must be broken, must be destroyed, as we see, must die, according to this baker. But listen, 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 listen. Three days, that's what he said. Three days, and in three days, that cup would be restored. And in three days, that bread would be broken. Do you get it? Do you get it? Joseph is there in prison, and he looks and he says, in three days, two weeks from today, we are going to celebrate those in three days. Two weeks from today. Because in two weeks from today, we celebrate that on that third day, that bread was broken. But not only was that bread broken and hung, hung, not just shot, not just stabbed, but hung. Deuteronomy says, cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. We read that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. We read in, in Galatians that God himself made allowed allow Jesus to become the curse for us. And then paid that curse on the tree because that's where the curse is paid. Cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. And here we are, 40 chapters into Genesis, and God has brought us to the cross 2,000 years before it's going to be laid before us. 1,500 years before it will be invented. 1,400 years. And here he says, listen, In three days, the bread will be broken and the cup will be restored. And in three days, well, there, before his execution, he stood with the bread which was called the Lemechani, the bread of affliction, as scripture had taught us. The bread that was testimony of your bondage to pornography, to drugs, to gossip, to pride, to selfishness. And God's own hands held it before you and he broke it. He broke your symbol of bondage right in front of you. He says, now take this. This is my body broken for you. The same reason why he could offer me the cup of salvation is because he drank the other. The reason he can offer me that the bread of life was because the other bread had to be broken. And he chose to become that. In his brokenness so that I could actually receive the other. And might I just say Jesus would say one thing. When you do this, this thing called communion, which we will do next week. Do you remember what he told us? Remember me. Doesn't that just sound like Joseph? Look at when you, here you are now. You've been let out of prison. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, you've been let out of prison. Would you please remember me? Or do you think I let you out to go back into bondage? Do you really think I let you out so you could go and just lay down at the morgue with the rest of the dead people? Do you really think that's what God wants of us? And the world looks out there and you know what they see? Nothing different here. Where's the life? Where's the joy? Because, beloved, if we don't look any different than that, why would they want this. And I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about him, the one who chose to be our punishment. But beloved, if we're not going to celebrate this living God, what on earth are we doing? As we go to prayer, at the end of this, Joseph is going to get blasted with two more years of this and not get remembered. And it's going to take, to be honest, until the boss gets freaked out by a bad dream that the guy goes, Oh, yeah, there was this guy I was supposed to tell you about. You could think Joseph at that point, imagine when Joseph is lifted up at that point, you could see him. You may, I would have gone like, on his way to Pharaoh, but he doesn't even do that because he's going to need to exercise forgiveness with this guy so that he can exercise a greater forgiveness with his brothers. Listen. Joseph will be, and the term that's used is, he will be lifted up. And when he does, he will be first brought, listen, 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 to bring salvation to who? Who's the first group of people that he actually helps save physically? Gentiles. The first group of people will be Gentiles. Then he will be revealed to his own, the Jew, and he will bring salvation to them. Isn't that exactly what God promised would happen? Now, as we go to prayer, I want to ask you something. Have you accepted the offer of God, the cup of the new covenant? Not the cup of wrath. You've already earned that. Jesus says, I drank that so you don't have to. Why would you want that? I took all of your filth, all of your guilt, and I died on the cross so you don't have to. And because I died on the cross, I paid for this cup so I can offer you this one. Have you said yes to the gift of Jesus? But if you have, it's his resurrection that testifies more than just the old is gone. There has to be some new or who in the world are you now? Christian, have you embraced the new life he's called you to? Which, by the way, is extraordinary. And maybe at this moment you're thinking, this is actually the best I've ever been. It won't be tomorrow. I guarantee you, tomorrow there's a better than today. And every day you are in Christ. He takes you a little further, not only away from where you've been, but closer to what he's called you to. I can hardly wait to see if the Lord tarries five years from now. We can all laugh and think of how crazy we were here now and how far He's taken us. We can say, remember when we sat in that nursery and the Congolese church screamed loud enough for us to hear them and we wondered if our kids were okay while we sat here while that guy ranted and raved? Hey, may the Lord, if He tarries 50 years from now, may I have more energy than I do today and may it all be natural and not induced by Red Bull or whatever, but you know, and may it be that we could all still say, yes, yes, with Christ. Better today than yesterday. Man, if the best shoes you have are behind you, why doesn't he kill you? Do you really think he takes you to the top of the hill and says the rest is a roll down? So we could all talk about, let me tell you how good things were back then. God doesn't want us doing that. That's a monument at best, that's not a movement. And I believe he wants to save London. And I believe he wants to use you. Now how he wants to use you, that's actually something we're all going to discover. The the question is, are you willing to hop on the bus and enjoy the ride? Or are we still busy pressing the button going, yeah, this is good enough, this is good enough. The Lord's going, hey, 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 this is not good enough. It's only good enough for the moment. Christian, it is time for us to embrace the new life, the one That celebrates the living God. That does more than go, I think there's something I'm missing today. Remember me, please. Will you pray with me? Oh God, thank you so much for this chapter. God, thank you so much that somehow in the midst of this, there's a guy who sought excellence in a prison. He didn't try to blame you. He didn't surround himself with other people that talk about how he had to forgive God, forgive you God. He didn't have any of that. What he had instead was that he had some kind of intense, amazing relationship with you. Though, of all the people in scripture, we don't read once that you've actually appeared to him. I mean, you've given him visions, but there's nowhere where you sat on his bed or or he saw some amazing escalator between here and heaven and or or somewhere down the line he saw some angel with his sword drawn or any of that. He just gives these visions. And there's nowhere where we even read that he even audibly has to hear you go, Joseph. And it's, I think of how many times we want all of that, and this guy had none of that, and he still loves you. Forgive me, God, for trying to make you do something Dog and pony just so that I'll say, oh, there you are again. God, I, 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 I want a greater faith than that. A deeper passion. A more meaningful understanding. And for a world that's just dying for lack of evidence, would you please make us the evidence you desire for us to be? For every Christian, myself included, God, I pray that we would do more than remember you, that you would be the first thought on our mind, as you are the first love of our life. You would be our consuming passion, and that there would be no one that would influence us to cool, to lukewarm when you desire for us to be hot for you. Oh God, please, please, please make us everything you intend And in that, God, I just pray right now for every believer here, myself included, God, please transform our lives into one that what you have for this day may it be the best it's ever been, but make tomorrow even better. And God, that we could look back a year from now and recognize the new neighborhood you put us in is even infinitely better. And that's including, Lord, the way you develop our fellowship. Oh, God, make it something so profound that every day we see it better. Make us more influential, more fruitful, more meaningful. But right now, while Christians are here, thanking the Lord, thanking you, Lord, for the broken bread that you chose to be, for the cup you chose to drink. If there be anyone within the sound of this voice who isn't sure that they have or is sure that they haven't accepted the gift, Of Jesus, the Christ, who drank the cup of our guilt. Of the Father's wrath. Who chose to be broken that we could be made whole. And was lifted up, resurrected, just like you promised, Lord. If there be anyone within the sound of this voice, Lord, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, convict them profoundly. Convince them absolutely. And if that be you right now, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer and I ask you to listen. And if you agree with this prayer, I ask for you to say amen at the end. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I confess to you. I'm not perfect. I'm broken. I'm, I've failed. I'm guilty. And if your demand is perfection and not just someone good, Well, then there's no way I could stand before you on my own merit. I have earned the cup of your wrath. And yet, Lord, you desire my fellowship so much that you would desire to drink my punishment, put it upon yourself, so that I could be brought to a right relationship with you, that all my guilt could be paid for in full. And Jesus, if you were really willing to die like that for me, well then, I accept your offer to replace my guilt with your innocence. I would be a fool to say otherwise. And I realize all that you've done up to this point, though I may not fully understand this side of heaven, you have been working hard to put me in a place where I would be brought to this choice. So thank you for maneuvering me to this simple yes. But also, because Jesus, you rose from the dead, you offer me a new life, free from the bondage that I've come from, pulling me out of the kingdom of darkness and the power of darkness into your arms. And so I say yes to the new life, the resurrected life, one that is called into extraordinary and greatness and magnificence, whatever that magnificence is. And I won't even try to tell you how to go there, although I probably will somewhere down the line. But Lord, I'm going to try to trust you in this, that wherever it is, you know where you're going. And and you never have to check the map. So Lord, I'm going to trust you. Increase my faith to trust you even in the places where I think I should grab the wheel. And in that, I just want to say, yes, make me the new creation you intend. I surrender myself to you. Father, make me yours. Now I surrender myself to you, accepting the gift of Jesus and the new life you offer at his resurrection. I am yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.